So here's what I love about what I do. I get to meet people who have reinvented, but use the language of different histories to talk to us. And Linda Bouchard is so charming and so interesting. And she really speaks, she speaks like a modern poet and it all comes out of being a flight attendant. As she says to me, your safest exit could be behind you, but your life is in front of you. What a, what a word for reinvention. And then she says, from now until dead, is this how you want to live your life? Those are the questions you ask yourself. And she started out as a flight attendant for 20 years, and she loved it. These were the heydays of flying guys, not the days of having to tape somebody to their seat because they go bonkers on a plane. But her sense of flying and being in this small little ecosystem reminded her of how she felt when she would enter a book. And she always loved books. She had a degree in PR. And in any case, when 9-11 came along and she decided she didn't want to fly anymore, she segued that into the love of what she did. And she had to give some things up in order to do it. And now she runs a program called Booking Authors Inc., INK.com. And she's a boutique public relations firm dedicated to Southern authors. And it's a wonderful story about using things you learn from one job to find a hole in the market and then apply them to something else you love. So I invite you to listen to Linda Bouchard and her wonderful story and all her fabulous quotes. And she's a poet. She doesn't know it. So here she is, Linda Bouchard. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, Leslie, it's a treat to be with you. Thank you. So you have quite the story. I want to hear from the very beginning, as I always say to everybody, I like to go back to, you know, where you grew up and all that, because there's always some kind of thread there. So maybe take us back to, you know, where'd you grow up and what did you study and what did you start out doing? Right. Well, I grew up in Vermont and... um well, first of all, I've always seen my life through the prism of story, and um, I always want it to be a continual process of reinvention. So, um, you know, I graduated from Boston University with a master's degree in public relations and broadcasting. Um, and in fact, Bill O'Reilly quite frequently sat behind me and copied my copious notes. Oh my God, you're <laughs> kidding. Was he was in your class? He was. He was in oh several. Oh my God. <laughs> was he creepy back then? <laughs> Obviously. Well, he was, your notes, huh? he was still Bill then. Yes. Wow. And so after graduation, I was hired by a CBS affiliate in Boston as their publicity assistant. And my office overlooked Logan Airport. And <laughs> for someone with wanderlust, it was bliss. Oh, okay. That's great. And so I watched 
airplanes come and go all day long. And, and this was in the early 80s when air travel was still held glamour and you dressed yes. up to fly. Oh, God. Yes, I remember doing uh, that. Remember as a kid, as a kid. Yes, I do. Oh, those were the glory days. And so, you know, I hadn't traveled much as and as I watched these planes coming and going, I, I fantasized about you know, where they were going and coming in from. And I decided I wanted to become a flight attendant. So my wow. reinvention, my reinvention, Leslie began. And I applied to every airline and was hired by a Southern regional airline called Piedmont. Piedmont, I remember that. Mm -hmm. And they were absorbed by US Airways and now they're American, but it, that brought me south. And I fell in love with the Southern eccentricities and with yes. the accent and the genteel way of life. And I have never looked back. Now, where do you live now? Where are you? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Wow. Yes, where I was based as a flight attendant. And oh, I, I see. Okay. All I right. just loved it. And so I stayed here, um, you know, after I left the airline after 9-11. But, you know, the training I received as a flight attendant has served me in every aspect of my life. It taught me to think creatively because there are so few resources at 35,000 feet. It, <laughs> it okay. taught me. It taught me cultural protocol, how to move with mm, ease mm. in the world. It introduced me to celebrities and heads of state and Wall Street executives. And you know what? I learned that they are no different than you or I. They all have the same fears and concerns and insecurities. And being a flight attendant was a master class in life. Mm. Um, my reinvention from the publicity department at CBS to a flight attendant was a leap of faith. Wow. But because I believed in myself and my intuition, it was an amazing and soulful time. How long were you a flight attendant? 20 years. Oh, my God, a long time. And what did you, I mean, because now I think it's pretty brutal now. I mean, I bet you're glad you're not having to tape people to their seats, right? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm, I'm glad I'm not involved in that now, but so thankful for the glory days of flying that I was a part of. What was the most exciting trip you ever took? What was the thing that surprised you the most when you were <laughs> a flight attendant? Well, uh, human behavior never ceases to amaze me and surprise me. It still does. But um, I never really got used to the unpredictability of human behavior. But, you know, every flight, whether it was domestic or internationally, held its own um, sense of wonder for me. Being, mm. on an, being on an airplane was a whimsical, wonderful world. And um, now that I'm involved in publishing and publicity for authors, the book world has that same sense of magic for me. Oh. You know, stepping on an airplane is like stepping into um, all of these stories that everybody has. And, you know, books 
to me are portable dreams. So interesting. I love the way you're making that segue between the two. That's very interesting, though. I will tell you, I don't know if you've been flying lately, but it's more like a horror show. (laughs) It's a horror book every time you step on now. It's like, please don't have anybody who's going to have a fight on the plane, please. So it's, it's totally different than it used to be. It used to have, I agree with you with the wonder. I got wonderlust um, when I was running Mary Claire and I used to fly to Europe every, you know, a couple times a month. And I would see all these places on the map that I'd never been. They had the map up front. Yes. And I was like, oh, I want to go there, you know, and that I can totally understand that sense of wonder. Oh, yes. Right. You felt that as well. You can't help but feel it. Mm -hmm. So how did you segue over into books? So you were flying for 20 years and then how did you make that transition? Because there are a lot of people like you who would like to either go back and pick up something that they'd started a long time ago, but they'd put it away. Um, Yes. Yeah. So how did you do that? What were the nuts and bolts of it? Right. Well, you know, yes, this pandemic has caused a lot of people to think about reinvention because people have lost jobs. That's right. Um, They have uh, decided to uh, look for a different job because it's focused them and made them realize the preciousness of time. So this has really been um, a time of refocusing. Um, But my... um, transition to the world of books uh, happened very organically because it happened during my flights as I met hundreds of authors traveling on tour. And there was a common thread to every conversation, Leslie, um, that New York publishing houses were not sending authors to the Southern markets. Really? Oh, how interesting. And they didn't value the author's input. It was a light bulb moment for me. I filled a void that needed to be filled. And, um, you know, I immediately envisioned that career move. And, you know, during my pre-flight announcements as a flight attendant, I would so often say these words, your safest exit could be behind you. Oh my God. Okay. But this is not true in life. You have to stay focused on what's ahead because it's where life is. The opportunities are always ahead of you. It just takes a shift in thought. And we are always leaving something behind as we move forward. And those are losses. Um, But, you know, loss is not the end. Uh, It's an invitation to change. Wow, Linda, you are like a poet, but you must know it, right? (laughs) Well, you know, um, language and words, I think, are the one true thing that we have as human beings that set us apart. And I just love language. I really do. And I get to, I'm privileged to be around it every day working with authors. So, so give um, me the nuts and bolts of how you did it. So nine 11 shows up and what do uh, you say to yourself? You just say, I can't do this anymore, or it was just too stressful or, and then well, how did, did you just go, go home and say, I'm going to go live in Charlotte and I'm going to start something new or what was the actual 
What was the actual yeah. thinking? Well, I thought about it as I was flying. In fact, I began it as I was still flying on my days off. I would pitch, this was before computers, um, I pitched uh, via phone um, to the major publishing houses, the idea of becoming, I called it an author concierge for uh -huh. their authors as they were traveling and to book them in the Southern regional markets. So I physically called these publishing companies and talked with the publicity departments and the PR departments and made connections. And they loved my crazy idea. So it began um, very slowly on my days off, I started laying the groundwork, because my view was to eventually leave. But 9-11 really pushed that over the edge for me. So I just began booking media interviews, book signing, speaking events for all of the major publishing companies and brought their authors to the South because I knew the South well. And I made contacts here in the South and it, I just scrambled. I had no idea what I was doing when I first started out. Sure, I had a master's degree in this, but I had a vision and it's often been said, um, I think it was Sun Tzu in The Art of War that said, victorious warriors win first and then go into battle. And I had a winning mindset. I knew I could do this. I loved books. I loved language. And I loved the idea of creating something new. So my business, Booking Authors, Inc., grew from a vision. And when you talk to the book publishers, why were they not booking people in the South? I mean, they didn't secede after all. So they do have stores. <laughs> They're part of us. I think people read down here. They might even read more than in the North because it's a slower pace. What was their reasoning? That is a Wonderful point, Leslie. And you and I both know that Southerners are great readers. Yeah. And they are they are great writers. Some of our most yes. accomplished authors are from the South. But New Yorkers um, have this preconceived notion that, um, you know, uh, I don't know. We're we're not that literate or something. I think oh, that's not. Lord. I don't think it it's so be. much. Back when I started in the, you know, early my business in the early '90s, doing this, uh, yeah, it it was more so then. The they only sent them yeah. to the major markets, Los Angeles, all yeah. the fr fringe markets, yeah. L L A, da well Dallas sometimes, New York. Um, Boston, just the major media markets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but my goal was to change that and change their way of looking at the Southern markets. Um, so I made real inroads there. And um, so I kicked it into high gear after 9-11 uh, when I, and then I resigned uh, from flying after. And my first client was James Patterson. So Wow. I, 
I thought small bit there. Uh No. And I'm like, what have I done? (laughs) Oh my God. But the lesson there is that you have to start before you're ready. Uh Aha. A lot of women wait. Mm-hmm. A lot of women are waiting until they're ready. They go get a degree. Then I'm guilty of this too. You wait and you wait. You got to prepare, prepare, prepare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I learned the brilliance of staying regional through mm. the business model of Piedmont Airlines. So it was a very uh, symbiotic transition. And there was a magical alchemy there because, you know, Piedmont was a wonderful business model for staying regional and giving the best customer service ever. And I didn't want to serve everyone. There are enough authors out there for everyone. I wanted to serve the Southern region, the Southern authors and the Southern stories. Mm -hmm. So They stood out, Piedmont did, because they were unique in the industry. And being unique obliterates all other narratives. So I created a niche for myself, Leslie, in the publishing landscape by becoming the first literary publicist to focus solely on Southern authors. And so where do these authors go and how has that changed now with COVID? Oh, wow. It has gotten so creative. We have had to shift our thinking to virtual events and, you know, which can be, although I love the authenticity of in-person events because readers want to meet their authors. But the advent of COVID has created a shift in thought, which I absolutely love because it's so outside of the box. But we have had to think more about virtual events and Facebook Live, which can actually be better because more people can become involved online. Right. So it has actually served the author well. And for those authors who are a little reticent to go out into the world and be in front of people, it's been a real boost for them because they feel more comfortable behind a screen. How do you keep that focused on the South then if it becomes nationalized or internationalized via, (laughs) you know, social media or tech? How do you keep your focus unique then? Mm-hmm. Well, I book bookstores for here's a perfect example. Mary Alice Monroe, who I'm sure you have read her her Beach House series, or um, let's say um, the beloved Dorothea Benton Frank, who wrote um, wonderful Southern literature. Um, both of those had um, national followings, but I just book them. uh, I book them with um, Southern media. So I kept it Southern. And then um, someone else or the publishing company would book them uh, for uh, more national events. So I do I keep it small, I keep it agile, because I'm able able to shift. And um, if something happens, it's uh, easier to make correct 
uh, corrections, course corrections, if you may. And um, so I do. I book um, bookstores for virtual events here in the South, uh, speaking events for Southern uh, platforms. And I let other people handle the na other national venues. Do you see us coming back to live events soon? Where? What's your sense? Do you have a sense of what's going to happen? I do, Leslie. I see it right now. It's a real hybrid uh, because there are bookstores and places that are actually having in-person events, even now, um, socially distanced, of course, okay. and all those precautions, but they are also doing virtual events as well. So it's right now it's a hybrid, but okay. I am optimistic about having more in-person events. But the beauty of this is that we've gotten comfortable with the virtual events and it's working rather well, I think. And how do you think the Southern reader and the Southern writer have changed over the years? What have you seen that's different? We have a lot of um, readers. These are book buyers, book readers, book lovers in Cubby Club. Mm -hmm. So how do you see how do you see things having changed? Well, things have changed uh, in the fact uh, one important uh, change is the advent of the Kindle and the Nook and be and having books more portable. Um, although I think reading is an tactile as well as an intellectual pursuit. And I'm a big believer in real books. I call myself an ink sniffer. <laughs> uh -huh. I love smelling a book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the change really is more on the side of technology. And also with a publishing company and print on demand, uh, which makes it um, easy for self-publishers as well. So, you know, but the techni technical part of it is just incredible. And it makes books more easily available to everyone now. How do you find the Southern writer having changed? Are they talking about different things? Is it, what do you see as a thread through there? Well, Southern I mean, Southern authors are, first of all, um, observers, as all writers are, of life. And the Southern culture is so unique that there are endless stories. Um, so, but the Southern writer really does focus on um, the cultural South, um, the Civil War still rages on in our psyches, and there are so many storylines to that. Uh, so even historical fiction, mm -hmm. uh, Southern historical fiction is very big. And so, you know, just the human story uh, only with um, a Southern focus. Um, it, it's always really been like that. Um, so, I mean, human nature um, has not changed that much. So, um, but the writing and the writers uh, do change. The writers do change. New writers come up and um, 
you know, um, they, everybody has a unique story to tell. Now, do you only work with the big companies? If people who are listening have a book that they're trying to get out there, do you do independent stuff? Do you refer them to somebody else? Because I know a lot of the problem with publishing books today is there is very little help unless you're the very giant um, author. Um, There's very little help getting you out there. Yeah. Oh, that's always been um, the major complaint of um, authors and um, much to my dismay, but it certainly keeps me in business because even uh, major authors come to me after the um, one of the big five publishers are finished because they only uh, work with them for two or three months. I see, I see. And then they're on to the next big title. So, you know, they come to me because they want it to continue as well it should. They want right. their message to get out there. So, um, yeah, the publishing companies have never been focused on marketing. Uh, no. it's, uh, yeah. Which to me is interesting because they're, uh, you know, for-profit companies. So you'd think that marketing would be huge, but it's it's not the case. And it's very frustrating for the author. And um, it has turned a lot of people on to self-publishing as a result because, right. wow, they think I have to do my own marketing anyway. Right, right. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you still work with the big people, but there's there's no place that um, we can recommend, mm-hmm. say somebody's publishing their own thing. Um, there's no oh. place for them to go to get PR help oh. or to get marketing help the way that you do with the big guys, is there? Oh, I work with um, not only established authors, but um, emerging authors, yes. Oh, you do, okay. Um, I have worked with many authors who've worked with smaller publishers and who have also self-published. Now, okay. um, they ha- it has to be a good book. I, I'm right. very selective. Right. right. Um, so, but I have absolutely worked with self-published authors. Okay. And people would reach you at bookingauthorsinc.com, right? Correct. Yes, that is it. And what if somebody else is thinking, I love books, Um, they come out of, you know, they could be doing anything previously. Mm -hmm. What is, if they want to do something like what you did, Mm -hmm. what kind of tips and tricks do you offer um, for those people in getting into that kind of business? Wow. Um, You know, um, (laughs) all you need is... uh ignorance and confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of ignorance. I know a lot of us say if we only had known we would never have done it, right? Uh, I I know. I know. Well, you know, it it's all really a mindset. You have to have um you know some some ways to move forward are, you know, visualize visualize this future for yourself, because all of us are reinventing every day. And um, it it just takes a change of thought, you have to be really clear um, about what you want to do, and how you are going to get there, you will fail, you will fail along the way. 
um, embrace the failure, but push past your fear. Um, you know, the new life you want is on the other side of fear. So just retrofit your life and be open to change because it can be done. If I can do it, anyone can. You know, I didn't start with a great deal of uh, monetary resources. So I retrofitted my life. I um, became a, a minimalist in my life. And um, so, you know, you find a way, you find a way, but your dream is out there on that other side of fear. And practice acceptance and forgiveness. Accept that you will stumble along the way to your new life, but be forgiving of yourself. And also be forgiving of those who try to discourage you because yeah, there, there's a there, lot of that. There will be naysayers, but you know what? This is your dream, your passion, and it takes courage to be different. So hang on to that and be open to all the unknown. Um, you know, as I said, you have to start before you're ready. But just start because you have to act as if you were already there. Well, that's what you did when you were sort of on the sides getting this started. You didn't quit your job right away and then get this started. You segued. You two-tracked for that's, a while. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely right. I, I kept that safety net of flying still there until I had more surety of um, what I was doing and figuring it all out. So if you have that luxury of having another job, you know, kind of hang on to it and do your other job in the background, it will energize you. It will energize you. But it's all about mental archery. Keep mental archery. I have never heard that. What is that? That is keeping that goal in sight, keeping that goal in mind and going for it and becoming better at what you're doing and practicing. And I believe that how you end is more important than how you began. So it's okay to stumble along the way. Failure. I am all about it because <laughs> failure is just a life lesson in disguise. Right. That's true. Before we go, because we only have a few more minutes, what do you mean by you became a minimalist? In what way? <laughs> did you downsize? Did you, what did you do in order to, to make your dream happen? I did. Um, I, I sold a home. Um, I, I moved um, to a different location here in Charlotte. Um, I got rid of clutter. Oh, wow. So you did this in order to finance your, your ability to move forward with what you loved. Right. I did okay. that. For, I did that for financial reasons, but okay. it was also getting rid of that emotional clutter. I think yes. being I mean, clutter just bogs you down. So yeah, I did it to like free me up in all sorts of ways to, to go forward. Great. 
Well, wonderful, wonderful. Everybody can find you at Booking Authors Inc. Inc.com. Any last words you want to say to these potential reinventors? Wow, you know, um, just really believe in yourself. And you have one brilliant life to live. So get out there and live it. And I always ask myself this one question, from now until dead, is this how I want to live my life? If the answer is no, it's time to change. Wow. Okay. You are full of poetry, my girlfriend. That was great. Excellent. Thank you, Les. Thank Thank you so much for your time, Linda. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Reinvent Yourself, the podcast. I hope that we gave you some inspiration and some technical about how to get this done. We don't want to leave you with just inspiration because that's not helpful enough. I hope that you, if you like it, you will subscribe and you will join us for all of our podcasts that we do. If you're serious about reinvention, mosey on over to the Covey Club. That's really become what we do well. We know how to hold that space for you while you figure out what you're going to do next. Reinvention is really scary and it's not something you should do alone. And also what we discovered while we were in this is that reinventing with strangers is actually easier than trying to do it with people you already know. And there's a whole reason, list of reasons why and all that, which you can come over and read and learn about but that's one of the magical things. So I encourage you to come over to coveyclub.com, read up into the spyglass. You can put in reinvention, read all our articles there. Look at all the attend events that we're doing where we are trying to put teachers in front of you who have interesting things to help you with your reinvention, maybe not directly, but indirectly or to inspire you. And we also have a wonderful download to get you started called 31 Badass Tips and Tricks for Reinventing Without Fear. Those are all the things that I've learned over my career about reinvention. And I've had to reinvent a couple times and I've interviewed hundreds of people who reinvented. And I hope that will get you started. So join us again next time on Reinvent Yourself. And Let us know how we're doing. Please pass this along to friends. If you think it's helpful, give us some stars, leave us a comment, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much and have a good day.